my story proves what the Bible teaches, which is that the presence of God in your life will change you in ways that you do not expect, and you will find that anger dissipating as the healing power of Jesus Christ and his word. It restores your soul. What can you say? You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the new release today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Welcome to episode 84 of the podcast. I've been working on getting connected with John almost since the first episode, so it's a real treat for me to finally be able to share this conversation with you. Now, you know, because I've talked about it many times in this podcast, I used to promote Christian concerts in the Pacific Northwest back in the 90s. Well, a couple of years back, we had a band approach our church asking if we would be interested in hosting a concert with them. It was fun for me to dust off my old promoter hat and jump back in. Now, of course, a lot of things had changed since my last show 20 years ago. And while most of those changes were a good thing, I have to admit I was shocked and disappointed by one change. You see, we had asked the band if they would be willing to allow our pastor to do an altar call at the end of the show to give people an opportunity to know Jesus themselves. And the band said no. Now, this is a well-known Christian band, and They were not even interested in having us invite people to know Jesus on a personal level. Now, don't get me wrong. It was a great concert, and people heard about Jesus. But I was stunned that this band didn't want to give people an opportunity right then and there to commit their lives to Christ. In my interview today with John Cooper of Skillet, we talk about these changes that are coming to Christian music. And we also talk about the importance of being grounded and rooted in the Bible and prayer, as these are core to our walk with Jesus Christ. And you won't be surprised to know that we talk about the rebellion of rock and roll. John and I had a great conversation about a lot of good stuff, and we'll jump into that interview right after this message from Mercy, Inc. As a regular listener, you know that I am very passionate about the work of Mercy, Inc. Mercy is a Christian humanitarian group that works around the world to change the lives of people from a wide range of backgrounds. Today, I'd like to share with you about Bethesda Medical Clinic in Haiti. Dr. Rodney and his staff provide a wide range of medical treatments to those living in Cap Haitian, Haiti. But one of the key elements of their work is making sure that the patient's spiritual health is addressed as well. I've been to Bethesda a couple of times and have seen firsthand as the staff prays with their patients every day. Patients come to the clinic early each day to share in Bible study and prayer. Then they are treated for HIV and malaria. There are baby and mama wellness checks. Patients are treated for broken bones and are provided physical therapy. I'd love for you to get involved in the great work that Mercy Inc. is doing in Haiti through Bethesda Medical Clinic. Head over to christianmusicarchive.com mercy to learn about how you can make a difference in the hearts and physical bodies of the people of Haiti. That's christianmusicarchive.com mercy. And thanks in advance for your help. 
Back in 1997, I was promoting concerts in Portland, Oregon, and was approached by a booking agent to do a show with a new band called Skillet. I distinctly remember that CD. It had a white cover with a picture of a cast iron skillet, and that music was harder than anything I was promoting at that point. Well, I promoted that show at a nearby college, and you flash forward nearly 25 years, and that little unknown band, well, they've done all right. And today, Skillet is one of the biggest rock bands on the planet. More impressive than their musical prowess is their unwavering message of hope and sharing the gospel. And today, I'm honored to welcome Skillet lead singer, and fellow brother of the beard, John Cooper, to the podcast. Welcome, John. I don't think I've ever been introduced as brother of the beard, but I like it. It makes it sound like we have a secret society. Well, I think we do. It's a secret society. You've got this great line of care for, uh, for beards and stuff, and you know we've got this thing yep. we've got to take care of. So That's right. That's right. We have to bring dominion to our beards. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Well, you know, I was thinking back, you know, 1997, it was Newburgh, Oregon, just outside of Portland, and you guys came, and and did you have any clue when you started Skillet where you guys would be today? I mean, you've got like millions of albums sold, and your music is used by Marvel and the NFL, and where did you think you'd be? It's crazy. <laughs> no, no, I never, never, ever in a million years thought that I would A, be in the brotherhood of the beard because my, uh, back, back then my wife didn't like beards. Yeah. And um, B, I never thought we'd be doing any music this long. Yeah. Never, ever thought. I mean, I kind of thought, hey, we'll do this for five, eight years maybe mm. if we're lucky. Um, I mean, it, you know, you always hold on to that dream. Like yeah. maybe we'll get famous and play at the Grammys, you know. Sure, <laughs> you, yeah, yeah. You, you have these kind of delusions of grandeur, but you don't actually think, I'm going to be one of those people that was in the music business for 25 years. And our story is very unusual because most people that are in the music business that long is because when they came out, they were so big, you know, they had a huge hit song Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, mercy me, mercy me comes out with, I can only imagine. And that song is so big that they'll be playing music until Christ returns, you know, probably. (laughs) And, uh, you know, jars of clay and, and, and all this. Skillet was never like that. And so we built our career word of mouth from doing concerts, from, from people going, uh, I love this band. That's my, you know, that's my favorite band. That Skillet means more to me than any, anything in the world. Yeah. And before you know it, we ended up having this long-term fo- following. So it's a very unusual story. Well, and you guys uh, have done a real good job of of making it not just about the Christian music industry, but also the mainstream. And you guys have done a really good balancing act of that. I mean, you're you're on right now, you're on uh, Winter Jam, but you're also on some of these mainstream tours with big acts that would never set foot in a church. How do you balance that relationship? You know, it's kind of interesting because, uh, I mean, I will have to say, there is a huge element here, I'm not just saying, a huge element here of... God kind of did something unique. Mm. And and I say that because I, I have a ton of friends in Christian band, rock bands, who really would love the opportunity to cross over and have tried to cross over. And it didn't work. And, and it's not because they weren't good enough or talented enough. Um, music isn't like that. Sometimes you'll know this because you love music. Sometimes the people that you might think might be the most talented in the world, that maybe they don't make it. Mm-hmm. And then other times, some people get really popular. And as a music critic, <laughs> or you might be like, I don't really get right? this, but yeah. other people do, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, 
So a lot of it is kind of like dependent upon what God did. But I, I will tell you the one thing that we did that I personally am very uh, proud of, and I mean that in, a, in, in the correct sense, not in a prideful sense, what I'm very proud of, thing I'm most proud of my whole career, thankful to Jesus for, yeah. is that Skillet is, has never backed down from our faith. Yeah. And that was something we decided on the front end. If we're going to cross over, then that has to be a God thing. He has to open the door because I'm unwilling to not talk about Jesus right. in order to cross over. Yeah. And I'm, I'm unwilling to change who I am or be embarrassed about Christ. So if God opens the door, we'll go through it. You know, one of my favorite Christian rockers, uh, who I'm sure you know, from the great resurrection band, Mr. you know, Glenn, Glenn Kaiser yes, probably. Sir. Yes, sir. You know, as Glenn Kaiser says, a lot of a lot of Christians want to cross over, mm-hmm. but they don't want to take the cross over. Right, and I I think that that is a worthy thing to remember. Yeah. Well, now the thing that I've been impressed with is a lot of these mainstream acts are seeking you out to tour with you. So there's something that you guys have that is well, appealing. I mean, I will say this um, again. I just think it's a God thing. I mean, we it took us ten years before anybody really knew who we were. And then all of a sudden we started selling records. 2009, we released our album Awake. Awake had the song Monster. Monster kind of changed the game for us. And when you're selling records, people want you to be on their tours. You know, when you're, when you're, uh, when you're putting booties in seats, as they say, (laughs) people want you around. But I I will also say this just again, that a lot of what Skillet was doing was just not in vogue. And then all of a sudden, it became in vogue in the mainstream world, if, if that makes right, sense. In right. other words, you know, Skillet had uh, we were always singing what they would what what the world would call um, positive music. It was positive, yeah. <laughs> and uh, positivity wasn't all that popular in rock and roll until the mid two thousands, two thousand six, right. seven. And all of a sudden, people got man, positivity is really good. And and of course, we say that on the sec- in the secular world in general because around 2008 and nine is also when a real resurgence of, I would call it the new age movement mm. happened, but, but it was in the form of health and wellness, clean eating, yeah. uh, eating green, yeah. making the whole world green. That was, that was president Obama saying, wasn't it? Make the world green. So all of a sudden, all of this health, wellness, clean eating, all of that became kind of in vogue, self-help. And all of a sudden people wanted a positive rock band. Yeah. Nobody was more positive than Skillet because we've been doing it for 15 years. Yeah. And so we were next in line. That was a God thing. Well, the other thing that I've appreciated is that as your platform has grown, a lot of times as platforms grow, people tend to say, well, I'm going to back off just a little bit. You guys have just been rock solid. We're sharing our gospel. We're sharing the faith. And especially in the last couple of years, you've been able to use this platform to start pointing some people to a lot of the fallacies that our culture right now is pushing out there. Is this something that you felt like you had to do, or was this just a continued extension of what you guys have already been doing musically? Mm. I would say both. Let me explain. I would say, yes, I had to. It was burning inside of me. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is what God's called me to do right now. I have to do this. But it was an extension. And let me just explain it. You know, 20 years ago was a simpler time. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, right? (laughs) Nobody wanted to call themselves a Christian 20 years ago unless they Mm -hmm. were ready to live for it. And what, what, and, and, and I was naive. I I mean, I just thought if, if somebody says they're a Christian, then they, uh, they obviously agree 
on core tenets of the faith, or they wouldn't call themselves a Christian. Right. Uh, now, that was my naivety. That was me not understanding academic things and worldview, but that was just my experience. And so where culture is led, 2014, 15, 16, yeah. all of a sudden what you're dealing with is a, uh, is a pretty big contingent, mostly of the millennial generation that is, was churched, said they were Christians and is now redefining what it means to be a Christian. Mm. And, and their, their redefinitions sound extremely unchristian to everyone yeah. else yeah. who follows Christ. Yeah. You, you know, and they say, no, no, I'm still a Christian. I just don't know if I believe that the resurrection was real. Right. Well, that's, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so because of that, I felt like what I had set out to do in 96 was to evangelize the world, tell about the good news of the gospel of Christ. Now, I think one of the best ways to do that is to make clear the distinction so that we don't keep losing people from the faith yeah. to, to false teaching. Yeah. And, and, and I view it that strongly. I think it's false teaching. I believe it's demonic. I believe it is, is apostasy. And um, a lot of people are being deceived by it. And it hurts. It hurts to watch it happen. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was listening to a conversation um, earlier this week of, about, you know, the disciples went through a quote-unquote deconstruction of their faith, right? Deconstruction is kind of the word that everybody uses, but they were expecting the king to be a military leader, this military might, and, and Jesus came in and said, well, that's not quite what I meant when I'm, you know, coming back. So what do you do? I mean, how do you talk to people who are really wrestling in their own hearts about saying, you know, I, I'm hearing all this stuff. I, I, I do believe in Jesus, but do I understand what Jesus is? I mean, that it, we've, we've labeled it deconstruction in the past couple, three years, but what is it about tearing down our belief system and how do we fill it with the truth when the truth sometimes has so many facets, we don't know which one to look at? <laughs> you know, I think... I think that there's a semantic game that's beginning to be played now that is trying to say that deconstruction actually is not a bad thing, that maybe that's kind of like what Martin Luther did and things like that. I don't think that's helpful. I believe that that is basically, that's just a, a very kind of, that's something you see in, in, in very leftist philosophy a lot. Hmm. Things like postmodernism and relativism. Postmodernism, a core tenet of postmodernism, which teaches that there is no truth. A core tenet of postmodernism is deconstruction. You take every single thing that happens and you say, well, how do we know that's actually true when mm. there really isn't truth? We just perceive something to be true because of the way that culture presents it to us. All those things are vain philosophies in my view. Now, I know that some people might actually be struggling saying, well, yeah, John, but I just don't know if I believe this. How do I know what is true? You can call it whatever you want to. If you really want to call it deconstruction, you can. I don't really care. My encouragement to, to that person would be this. Build your life on the Word of God. If you believe that the Word of God is true, as I do, yeah. you are not going to read the Bible and, and go, oh, the resurrection actually is not literal. Right. You would, you would never say that. Jesus appears to, to hundreds and hundreds of people. Yeah. And in fact, the apostles as they have to choose a replacement right, for number mm -hmm. 12, yeah, yeah. they say, well, this has to be someone who witnessed the resurrection. They have mm. to have seen Jesus afterwards. Yeah. What are you gonna, nobody would actually think these things when they read the Bible. So they have to understand that they're, they're being lied to. Yeah. 
I do understand that not everyone is going to agree that the Bible is the word of God. I mean, that is an issue of faith. But for people who say, no, I read the Bible and I just come to different decisions, you would never believe that Mary, the mother of God, was not actually a virgin. I mean, that's one of the things that the deconstruction movement teaches. You know, an angel showed up to her. Joseph wanted to leave her because he until because he yeah. thought, oh wow, she's been she's already been having sex. Yeah. It wasn't me. Yeah. And he didn't believe her until an angel showed up to Joseph. And if we don't believe that Mary was a virgin, then we have a real huge issue. Mm. Because what it means is that Jesus was actually born from the seed of Adam, which means that Jesus was born into original sin. Just like me and you. Well, that can't possibly be. So all these things are interconnected. So what I would say to people is this. I personally would run away from the deconstruction label. Mm. And anyone who is trying to say, well, it's actually a good thing. All we're trying to do is be real. I would run away from those people because they are teaching a false gospel. And I'm not trying to brainwash you. Open the Bible, read the Bible for yourself, and see if they're lying to you or not. Now, whether you believe the Bible that is on you. That is an issue of faith. And I pray that you do have faith to believe that God's word is true. And I can tell you, if you build your life on the word of God, on the Bible, Mm -hmm. if you build your life on the Bible, you will have order and peace and joy and salvation and holiness. You will have all of those things. But if you don't, you are going to find yourself swimming in a sea of chaos, just like unfortunately most people are who have gone through deconstruction and they're flailing about yeah. and they, they, and they never make any sense. They, they have to believe in the Bible and they have to don't. And you're like, w- w- which parts are you going to believe or not? You know? So it makes me really sad. I have friends that have fallen into it. Most of them usually have some sort of terrible life experience that pushes them down. They go through a divorce. Mm, Their husband yeah. cheated on them. They're, you know, I, I know somebody whose son, not to be whatever, of a physically, uh, sexually assaulted someone else. Something happens that shakes their faith, and then they are looking out for, for something new, and it's really sad. Well, so as people look at, at John Cooper's career, you've been touched by God. You've got everything has been handed to you. You, you haven't struggled. <laughs> we, we, I, now, I know that that's not true. Let's talk a little bit about your upbringing, because you had a tough upbringing that kind of helped shape your spiritual belief. Absolutely, yeah. Well, my mom w- w- was a Jesus fanatic. I mean, my mom made <laughs> my mom did not mess around when it came to the Bible. I'll tell you that, bud. I mean, she made us memorize scripture from the time that I can remember talking. You know, three, four. My mom would make us pray before my brother went to school. He was older than me, so before he went out to school. I'd have to sit at the table while she read a Bible story. We'd have to memorize the scripture. She'd force me to pray. I'd have to pray for my brother and tell him I love him. My mom, <laughs> I, my mom was no joke. Right. But long story short, uh, my mom got cancer when I was in sixth grade, and she fought cancer for three years on and off. She had uh, uh, surgery you know, to remove cancer and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and all those things that that entails is horrible. Um, reconstructive surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, (sighs) the cancer came back again. By the time my mom died, I was, I was 15. I was a freshman in high school. Um, and my mom was on chemotherapy three times a week. And Mm. I, 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 all that I remember about her was her being sick for a year straight. I mean, she couldn't have weighed more than 92 pounds at the end, no Mm -hmm. hair, could barely walk. 
You walk into your own house and your whole house smells like death. It's just mm. the way it is. It smells like someone is dying. It, it was horrible. But my mom would always tell me, John, if God doesn't heal me, you cannot be mad at God. Mm. And I would say, I, what do you mean by I can't be mad at God? And she would explain to me what the Bible says. God is good. Everything he does is right. Yeah. God is in control. He works all things together for the good of those who love Christ according to his purposes, Romans 8, 28. She taught me these things in such a way that when my mom died, I understood that, that God was still good. And that was a, a real anchor for me. But I will tell you that the darkest time in my life happened after my mom died because me and my dad started fighting. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad got remarried two months after her death. Um, we hated each other. Me and my dad fought, mm. yelled at each other. I was terrible to him. He was terrible to me. <laughs> my dad would tell me on a nearly daily basis how embarrassed he was um, that I was his son. He didn't oh. want people to know that I was his son. Yeah. I was um, a disappointment. I was always going to be a failure. Um, he resented my mom for dying because he wished that he had been the one to die so he would not have to live with me. Wow. Um, it was a terrible time growing up. And I want to be clear. I'm not saying that to say that I was awesome and my dad was a jerk. We were <laughs> sure. both jerks, okay? During that time, that's when I began to know Jesus as a friend. Mm -hmm. And I began to know Jesus as someone that would listen to my problems. And Jesus as someone that was, I hate to use the word balm, but it's the best. He was medicine. Mm -hmm. He was medicine yeah. on my wounds. And he healed. He healed these dark, deep places that were. I thought could never be healed. I thought I could never be happy again. Mm. But the presence of Christ in my life through his word became so real to me and so wonderful that after time, I wasn't even mad anymore. I wasn't wow. even mad at my dad. My dad never asked for forgiveness. I gave it to him either way. And I don't want, his, I don't want him to apply. We have a great relationship now. And my dad gets to know his grandkids. Yeah. You Very know, cool. it, this is what God does. Yeah. This is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is this. I don't deserve Christ's love, yet when I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Yeah. And then I reciprocate, just like everyone listens to this program. My dad doesn't deserve my forgiveness, but who am I to not forgive my brother after Christ has forgiven me? First John says this, anybody that says they love God, but they hate their brother, well, that person is a liar. That's what First John says. Yeah. So, so I don't say that to condescend or to condemn anybody listening. I say that my story proves what the Bible teaches, which is that the presence of God in your life will change you in ways that you do not expect, and you will find that anger dissipating as the healing power of Jesus Christ and His Word. It restores your soul. What can you say? So you talk about this relationship with Jesus that was a medicine, that was a balm. What does the scripture say? A balm in Gilead. I mean, that's scriptural. Um, how did you come up with the understanding that Jesus was there? Was it just a feeling? Was it just Bible reading? What was it that made you Ooh. recognize that that medicine was real? Very fantastic question. I would say it was a mixture. Now, number one, I already knew that God was real. I'd always believed that because of my mom's teaching. Mm -hmm. And I did know Jesus, so I never doubted that he was real. But I did begin sometimes to struggle with whether he was listening. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I know he's there. I know he's listening, but nothing is getting better. So it's a little bit like, is he even listening or does, does this even matter? Does it matter to him? 
I knew in my head it mattered to him, but I didn't believe it in my heart. How does that yeah, sound? Yeah, no, I get it. For me, it began to happen through prayer. Mm-hmm. And I would be alone in my room at night, angry. And to be 100% honest with you and everybody listening, I would sometimes fantasize alone at night that I was in a situation where I had to hurt my father. Um, and I shouldn't say had to hurt my father, where I had the ability to hurt my mm, father. Mm-hmm. I wanted to hurt him and I wanted him to suffer like he was making me suffer. And I would begin to pray and ask God to make my life better, right? Yeah. It was one night in my room specifically, I remember. I actually wrote about this in a, in a book that I wrote. The book came out, it's called Awaken Alive to Truth. People can get it on Amazon. Audible. I read it myself on Audible if you're interested. Awaken Alive to Truth by John Cooper. One night I remember specifically, it just came in my mind as I was praying. I was like, basically, God, I know you're real. I know that you are uh, in control. I I called him my boss. Mm -hmm. I know that you're my boss, meaning I know you're in control. Whatever you say goes, goes. But I need, could I know you like a friend? It was like, it was a question. I mean, I was like a, felt like a little child. Can I know you like a friend? I really need a friend. And it was in that moment that the words came into my head. I don't know another way to say it. That God answered me. And he said, yes, but not just like a friend, also like a daddy. And that was an amazing moment in my life. And that is based on the word of God. Because God is our father, yeah, right? right. He, he, is, he is our father. He's the father of all. He calls himself a father. He is a father to the fatherless. Jesus is our friend. He said so, didn't yeah. He? He, he? Yeah, there's no greater love than a man that lays his life down for his friends. And I don't call you just slaves. I call you my friends. Yeah. Jesus is a friend of sinners. This is amazing Bible truth that became real to me through prayer. So I would encourage people, yes, read the book of Psalms. Yes, you 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 see David struggling in the or whoever the psalmist may be right. is struggling, and he's saying these things to God. But then he's but then he proclaims what he knows to be true about him. So I tell people it is the word, but it is also prayer. It's it's all of it together, and it is so beautiful and so redemptive and life changing. The thing that you bring up the Psalms, and the thing that I've been discovering is. You know, almost every one of the Psalms, the psalmist, David or whoever is saying, oh, this is terrible. Look at this situation, God. You've got to do something. And what changes in almost every single Psalm, it's the person's attitude. It's the writer's attitude. He doesn't change the fact that he's still hiding in a cave because Saul's hunting him down, right? <laughs> Absolutely. God changes that's a his attitude. Point. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's a yeah, famous quote about prayer doesn't change God. It changes us, you know? Yep. I don't remember who said who said that. It may have been A.W. Tozer. I can't remember. Well, let's get back to music. I I take questions from some of our uh, podcast supporters, and Todd specifically wanted me to ask, in your opinion, what is the biggest obstacle to overcoming rocking in the free world? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's different now than it was five years ago, I will tell you that. Yeah. I mean, the the idea that rock music is about revolution and anti-establishment and and speaking truth to power, I mean, is it? I'm getting hammered in the rock world because I believe in things like free speech. Mm. Even rock fans are like, You're, you believe in hate speech? You know, I'm like, wow, uh, okay, that's, that's changed. Here's, what, here's the key to making it, I would say, is just being authentic. That's what rock music was supposed to be about from mm. the start. It wasn't truly about sex, drugs, rock and roll. 
that is the cheesy, not cheesy, I don't say cheesy. That is the, that is the watered down hijacked version. Okay. Uh, because Rocket, we're like, oh, I see. We can, ju- it can only be about sex. Rock and roll originally definitely had a rebellious spirit. There's no question about it. But rebellion has a lot of different aspects. I mean, I would say that there, it is a form of godly rebellion to, uh, to, to not sing about sex because we are, it, it, we are, how do you want to say it? When, when we deny the world and when we deny the flesh, that is a form of godly rebellion, right? Mm, it's like, yeah. I'm not going to sing about what, what somebody wants me to sing about because the truth is people want you to sing about sex and they probably would play your music more if you did. Mm. But, but the part of the rebellion is, no, I know who I am. I have something I want to say, and you're not going to stop me. That's the same spirit as Johnny Cash. Mm, yeah. you, you see what I'm saying? That's the same spirit as the Beatles. It's just that what we're singing about is different. Yeah. It's about not going with the flow. So I think that uh, there's a lot of very un-rock and roll things happening in the <laughs> entertainment industry right now. So I would tell people, you know what? Be authentic. Sing about what you believe in. And so you've put that on to a new album. You know it. You got a brand new album now called Dominion, and it's it's doing okay. I think your first single what hit twelve million plays already. I mean, and it's all right. No, not, <laughs> no. That, I, you know what? I saw that printed, and that was incorrect. Okay. I don't know who printed it. No, that is not correct. I don't. Well, well, you got a lot of streams. We'll put it that sorry. way. Sorry, you know what? I'm sorry. That actually is correct. Excuse me. It, it, sorry, I saw something. I saw something printed that said that the album already had. Um, two billion oh. billion with a B, two billion streams. That is not correct. I wish it had two billion streams, <laughs> but but anyway, the single is doing it well. It will eventually. Well, talk about Dominion. We've got just a few minutes left. Talk about Dominion. What is the intent of this album? I know you're talking. You're 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 sharing your heart. And by the way, this album rocks. I've had it playing almost constantly since it came out. What was your hope for this album as you were putting it together, you and the band? Oh. Man, this record rocks. It and sure I'll I, I tell you what I like about the record. This record is, it's a record that's for now. I don't know how mm. to explain it. It's a record that speaks to the, to the moment that we are in. It is about standing up for what you believe in. It is about not giving into fear. That can be inner fear, yeah. you know, because of pandemics and economics and this and the other. But it can also be pressure from out, yeah. uh, from without. But that could be, Pressure to conform, pressure to shut up and say only what they somebody else says mm. is approved. Mm-hmm. That can be all sorts of things. It, this really is a celebration of liberty, uh, saying, I don't have to live my life in fear. And if you know Jesus Christ, you should not be There's living your life in to fear. fear. Right. Yeah, because the Bible says that for you do not have a spirit of fear, yeah. but of power, love, and a sound mind. So it's encouragement to Christians. You should be living in power. Uh, it's not a condemnation to those who, who are struggling. It is an encouragement to, to remind you who you are in Christ. Yeah. You're powerful, and that's, a, that's, that's wonderful. Talk about Surviving the Game specifically. Talk, what's the purpose of that song? Surviving the Game is, is really the flagship song for what I just said. You know, it's just like, I mean, who doesn't feel like they've been surviving the game the last two years? <laughs> Pandemics and lockdowns, everybody yelling about everything. A presidential election in the middle that's like the most uh, crazy. I, I mean, I, I've never seen anything like this in my <laughs> lifetime. And, and we're, we're all surviving the game. To be more-
we're all surviving the game. So don't give up. You have a say over what happens in your life. You can't control pandemics and you can't control you know, lockdowns and various other aspects of the economy and inflation, but you can control whether or not you are trusting in the Lord or whether you're just freaking out all the time. So let's trust in the Lord. Every Saturday, I send out a newsletter to a bunch of folks who've committed to praying for artists. How specifically can we be playing for John and Skillet in the weeks and the months that are coming up ahead? Well, that's so wonderful to hear. I mean, I think if you're praying for artists, man, everybody knows what's happening in the church, I think. We are being split down the middle on a lot of issues. Some of them I wish we were not splitting down the middle because of. Some of them we must split down the middle because of. Because it, it, to me, it, they are they are challenging historical, traditional held, you know, creedal things mm. about our faith. Yeah. There is going to be, I believe, a reckoning in the Christian music world. Right now, a lot of artists just don't have to, they're just, they don't have to, they don't have to get involved and they don't need to say anything. And I understand why they're not. But at some point it's going to happen. And I have a feeling just between me and you and everybody listening, mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever said this on a podcast because no one's ever asked. I have a feeling, I, I, I hope this isn't the case, but I, if it happened right now, there would be a lot of Christian artists that you would be surprised that will not fall on the side you hope they're going to fall on. There is a lot of non-Bible believing Christian music artists that there just is. And they need prayer. They need prayer to stand on the word, prayer to stand strong. And, it, and it's difficult. So if somebody said, well, John, what can I pray for you about? I would ask you to help me stand strong. I don't want to I don't want to deny Christ or deny an aspect of the Word of God just because it's unpopular. And at the same time, we need to to say these things in love. And to be honest, I find that really difficult. In my heart, I love people, but I come across very strong because I'm a strongly opinionated person. And I want to do them and I want people to know that I love them. But it also is a loving thing to stand for truth. It is loving to speak truth. So that's what we could use prayer about. Wow, I needed this chat with John Cooper today. Thanks for taking the time out of the Winter Jam Tour, John, to chat with us today. You've heard me talk on this podcast about the importance of community. That's one of the reasons I started doing these conversations in the first place. For me, today's exchange about community centers around the theme of standing firm in our faith. It is so important to surround myself with people who believe the truth of God's Word, the Bible. And today, more than ever, and more than any other time in my life, I'm aware of the dissension, even among people in my church, about things that have been core tenets of my Christian faith all of my life. There has been a lot of anger and hurtful things said in the context of people's personal beliefs. And lately, we as a society have watered down the truth so much in the name of not offending people or hurting others' feelings. I personally believe many of us are actually ashamed of what we believe. John's testimony and music today have encouraged me to stand firm in the truth. I want to be able to declare confidently that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ 
because as Romans 1.16 says, it is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Continuing a little later in Romans, chapter 12, verse 1 specifically, it says we are to give our bodies to God because of all he has done for us. We should be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind God will find acceptable. This means going against what we want to do and sacrificing to do what God wants to do. I am confident that being bold and standing firm in the truth will direct how I love those people around me and how I interact with the people that God brings into my path each day. As I enter into God's presence through prayer and through reading the Bible, I've been seeing how God's changing my own life in ways that I've not expected. I experience the healing power of Jesus Christ as his word restores my soul, and I believe that that can be true for you, too. To wrap up today's podcast, I want to thank John Cooper and Atlantic Records for the permission to share Skillet's song, Surviving the Game. That's from their latest album, Dominion. And if you're a rocker, well, heck, even if you're not a rocker, go pick up a copy of this album. It's full of great songs encouraging us to live our lives in the truth of Christ. I'll put links in the show notes to Skillet's webpage where you can get that music as well as a copy of the book John talked about, Awake and Alive to Truth. Remember that buying directly from artists' websites is the best way to support them financially, and I'm a firm believer in supporting these musicians. Before we go, I want to invite you to join the prayer team. You hear me asking each guest every week how we can pray for them. We also have a number of artists who send prayer requests each week. So on Saturday, I mail out a newsletter highlighting seven current and legacy artists along with their prayer requests. That's an artist a day for the entire week. You can get this free prayer newsletter by jumping on the website christianmusicarchive.com slash prayer. And when you sign up, just tell me you want to receive the prayer newsletter or even the podcast announcement email or both. I sure would love to have you join me in the prayer team. Again, that's christianmusicarchive.com slash prayer. Next week, I'm talking with musician and author Buck Storm. We're going to talk about his transition from songwriter to novelist, as well as a little bit about the work he's done with artists like Randy Stonehill, Bob Bennett, and Phil Kagey. And you won't want to miss that exchange, so I hope I get to see you next week. Have a great week, friend. And until next time, remember this. God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. It's time for another Mischievous Mowers Miscellaneous Misquotes. I named my dog Five Miles. That way, I can say I walk five miles every day. <laughs> <laughs>